Hello, everybody, and welcome to the May episode of Jazz Talk Seattle. My name is Josh. And my name is Max. And today uh, we have with us our very special guest, Thomas Marriott. Hey, Thomas. What's up, Thomas? How's it going, guys? Pretty good. Welcome to the podcast, and thank you for joining us. For all of our listeners, Thomas is a fantastic trumpeter. He's based in Seattle, uh, like most of our guests. So he's a trumpeter, composer. He's won seven Golden Ear Awards from Earshot. He's got 11 albums in Origin uh, and probably more albums on other things uh, and has just a long list of uh, famous collaborators. Uh, collaborators. It's a pretty exciting bio. Definitely is. So we're here to talk about Thomas's latest record, which came out, uh, let's see, just a couple weeks ago. Is that right? <laughs> yeah, March. I think March 22nd was the release date. Okay, March 22nd. So about a month ago. Uh, and that's called Trumpet Ship. So uh, tell us about this project. What made you want to record this record and this collection of tunes? Well, the session was kind of organized in a very sort of last minute fashion. Uh, My friends were coming through town and they're people that I've collaborated with and have played with a number of times before in a lot of different settings. Um, And there was sort of an opportunity to record. So we just kind of took it. And um, the music that we played on the session was some of it's quite spontaneous. Some of it is, you know, sort of improvised and composed on the spot some of the tunes that i brought were songs that i had recorded on other people's projects or on projects that um were under my own name that i kind of wanted to have under my own name and and uh and some of them were just sort of things i pulled together at the last minute so um the album is really kind of a blowing session and i i feel like you know there are a lot of albums out there that have a, a concept uh, in play well it's just not that high-minded <laughs> I, you know <laughs> unfortunately I, it, there's not a concept at play the concept is well, let's get together and play music together um, fair enough there doesn't and, always have to be a concept well you know it's funny because it's true you're right about that and i i, I feel very strongly that music is you know there's the the physical part of it there's the mental part of it and there's the spiritual part of it and the spiritual part of it happens when when there's togetherness, togetherness with the musicians on the stage are together and of a same sort of mindset. And also when there's a togetherness with the audience and the band and there's a sort of sameness as well. And so, you know, I, there's not really a lot of emphasis on that part of the music, um, the part where we transcend the listener somewhere else, where we take that listener on a ride. And so, um, that's not really a concept. That's just the music. That's what it is. And so trumpet ship is, you know, that's what it's just us doing what we do. Um, so yeah, there's not really like a, 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 it's, it's, it's weird. You know, nowadays you're sort of expected to tell a story about your album, whatever that happens to be. Um, so that you give the writers and, sure. and people something to talk about. Um, if you can't tell the story of your project, certainly nobody else is going to be able to. So there's sort of that impetus to sort of have a story. And so sometimes having a concept to a lot of people, that's, that's how you talk about your project. My, my, my feeling is just that it's a blowing session. It's about putting all of our experience to bear in a single moment. Um, and that's what we do on the bandstand too. I think most of us. So very cool. 
why is a uh, why is it called trumpet ship? Well, it's it's named after um, one of the songs on the record by Sonny Simmons called Trumpet Ship. But yep. um, to me, I always sort of like the idea of the trumpet being, or the music, but in, you know, in my case, the music comes out of my horn. <laughs> so um, I like the idea of the trumpet as being the method of conveyance, the means of conveyance to mm-hmm. a exploration of time and space. They do say that uh, trumpet is king. <laughs> I'll let others decide that. It's quite, a, quite an image, uh, trumpet ship. I get a, quite a lot of visual uh, stimuli. Yeah, good. Name. <clears throat> good. I mean, I, I think I, I want people to come on a, on a journey. Every time that they hear music, you know, just yeah. my music or whatever, That that's what it, it should be, an immersive experience. And I can't think of anything more immersive than maybe, you know, interplanetary travel. <laughs> That's got to be pretty immersive. Cool. Absolutely. Well, I have more questions about this tune in particular. So it's uh, obviously the, the title t- track for the record. Uh, and uh, I think you've got like uh, around half of the tunes on this record are original and maybe half of them are, are um, standards or, or otherwise. Is that right? I don't know that anything is really a standard other than all the things you are. Uh, there are some, definitely That's some true. non-original uh, well, tunes. I suppose standard or non-originals, yeah. Not, non-original, uh, definitely. What's – sure. Uh, why why Trumpet Ship as your title track? I, th- I see like a lot of uh, people that name their records uh, oftentimes will choose an original for, for their title track. But you made a pretty conscious choice to to not do that. And I'm curious about your reasoning. I just like the imagery of it. I, I just, I just like the concept of it. Like, like I've already sort of said about uh, the sure. trumpet being the means of conveyance. I mean, I think that that's a strong image for people. Also, um, you know, in my mind, I saw sort of a science fiction ish album cover as well. You know what I mean? The trumpet ah, ship. Cool. I don't know. I just like it. The trumpet yeah. ship. <laughs> I don't have a reason. I just like it. I don't, you know, I hope that's okay. That's, oh, totally. That's a good enough <laughs> yeah. reason as any. I also just think it's kind of funny. So uh, the Sonny Simmons is the the musician that wrote this, right? And wasn't he a saxophone player? Uh-huh. Do you have any idea why he wrote Trumpet Ship when he, as a saxophone player? It just seems like... Well, uh, so I don't know if you know. I, 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 I don't know, but I could guess. Um, I, I'm sure he thought of it in the same way. In, in other words, well... I don't know. Sonny Simmons was married to Barbara Donald, uh, who was a trumpet mm-hmm. player and, sure. and, um, and who lived around here for quite a number of years. She passed on a while back, but, um, mm. and he was kind of a notorious for not being very good to her, um, and uh. making her learn all of his crazy tunes. And I know that he had sort of a tortured relationship with her and I don't want to like cast aspersions or, or spread rumors that I don't really know, have firsthand knowledge about, but, um, I, and I understand that their relationship was difficult and, that might have something to do with it. Don't know if he wrote it for her. Don't know if he wrote it with his experience with somebody else. I I, I can't say. Um, I don't know why he why he did. I I never got a chance to meet him. Unfortunately, mm. he's still around. Uh, maybe I will. Gotcha. Well, fair enough. Why don't we? Uh, I will. I will say this. The funny thing about it is, a lot of people um, will take a, a song with changes. Uh, and and play it free 
you, you know sure. what I mean? Um, but this is a song that's actually intended to be played free. Like if you hear the way Sonny Simmons, he plays the, the head and then he plays mm. free on it. We actually play, take a free tune and play the form on it, which is, <laughs> I know it seems kind of <laughs> sacrilegious or whatever, but we did it that way. That's cool. cool. Well, why don't we give this a listen? We've certainly talked about it uh, quite a bit. Uh, let's give our listeners a chance to check it out for themselves.
Cool. What an awesome track. And Thank what you. an awesome band as well. Thank you. Um, you've got a, a totally kick-ass band, if I'm allowed to say that. Um, so why don't we let you tell us who's on this record? Sure. Uh, Oren Evans on piano, Mark Whitfield mm-hmm. Jr. on drums, and Lucas Curtis on bass, and myself. And uh, I went to school with Mark Whitfield, but I'm assuming all the rest of them are also based in New York. Is that correct? Yes. And you mentioned that you did record this in Seattle, though, when they were in town. <laughs> yes. That's pretty cool. Uh, That's funny. When me and Max were discussing or preparing for this podcast, both of us completely had assumed that you'd record in New York, given that all three of them are <laughs> New York musicians. Yeah, I guess, that, that you know, it would have probably cost more money had I done it that way, to be honest. Um, and again, it, it, it kind of came up, the opportunity to record kind of came up very kind of last minute. So um it it uh yeah it worked out very well i'm, I'm very exactly happy with the did that opportunity come about well um oren and i have had a working and personal relationship for a number of years and um his trio was booked at uh portland jazz festival was that Bad plus had, or no no that that trio lucas Oren evans trio this was actually because this ah, record was actually recorded in 2016 so this is going back away a while um I it's see. been sitting in a can for for a number of years because i was even then i was working on something else that has now finally come out and kind of had its lifespan um my my last record called romance language was was quite involved in terms of the production sure um and so even when this opportunity came up i was like wow not really you know position to be making a record right now i'm already in the middle of making a record you know um but it was kind of an opportunity that i didn't really want to pass up uh, because uh, like you pointed out it, in order to do it another time would require me to, to probably go to new york and then of course you're talking about flights and hotels and all that but the trio orange trio um was like i said booked at the portland jazz festival and he had sounded me about putting together a date in seattle cool and the, just the way the dates worked out with uh, the club in Seattle and their performance in Portland, there was like a day off. Um, and oh. so that day off is sort of what uh, uh, enabled the recording to take place. Wow. I love that. Uh, Very so cool. did you end up recording it uh, at a studio in Seattle then? Yeah. Studio X. Mm-hmm. Nice. nice. In fact, it was, I was booked at studio litho um, to do it. And they, as they frequently do got, I got, bounced because one of the owners wanted to record that day so they rebooked me and they rebooked me at studio x which is where i would have loved to have recorded in the first place had i'd been able to afford it but um you know it's much more expensive very cool that is really cool and very happenstance uh circumstances surrounding the recording of this yes so i'm going to switch gears a little bit um so you're one of the few musicians in Seattle that kind of maintains a presence in New York and other places around the, the country and the world, uh, in addition to being kind of a staple musician in Seattle. Uh, I guess I have a couple questions about that, but um, how is that, maintaining a presence kind of around, around the country uh, alongside maintaining a presence here? Well, I mean, I... I don't know what maintaining a presence is. I just try to stay busy and work. You know what I mean? I'm, I feel well, lucky to have community <laughs> in a few different places. You know what I mean? And, and to yeah. be able to say that I have um, family in a few other places, you know, musical family in other places yeah. that I'm, I'm really fortunate to be able to get out and visit. 
Um, I don't really feel connected to those places so much anymore. I mean, you know, there's since I lived in New York, there's a lot of new faces. You know, mm-hmm. there's a lot of new faces. I mean, that's a long time ago. So uh, I, there's still plenty of people I do know, uh, and I, I feel good about that. I've been able to maintain relationships both personally and musical musically with a lot of people. Um, but I find it to be quite rewarding, to be honest, because um, you know sometimes Seattle. Well, you know, it's a small jazz community to, to be, I mean, that's not a secret and that's not a slight. It just is. It's a small jazz community. Yeah. And so um, there are not a lot of people that play the music the way it's played in other places. And so I like the way it's played in other places sometimes. Um, and so I like to get to those places to sort of get a musical charge. I sort of feel a musical kinship um, probably with more people who live outside of Seattle than, than people who live in Seattle. I certainly have uh, feel a kinship to certain musicians in Seattle, no question. But um, in the main, I feel like it's sort of easier to find my musical people elsewhere. Mm-hmm. And you're a Seattle native, correct? I think you went to yeah. Garden High School. And, yeah. yeah. Yep. And Whitworth Elementary. And- there you go. <laughs> <laughs> cool. Um, why, why do you still live here? If you could live other places, why here? Well, I mean, I did. I, I could I live somewhere else? I'm not sure I can live anywhere That's else. I question. mean, <laughs> I, you know, I tried. I, I tried to live in New York. I lived there for five years, and I, I probably would live there still had circumstances um, been a little bit different. Um, when I worked there, you know, I got off the road with Maynard and, and moved straight to New York. And, of course, I, I just did you know, like everybody when they move to New York, you have nothing on the calendar at all and um, mm-hmm. for forever and you got expensive rent to pay um and so i got a job working as a process server which is a, a person that delivers legal papers you know summonses subpoenas divorce actions mm. stuff like that landlord tenant uh causes things like that nature and it's not a job that's real pleasant because you get a lot of people slamming doors in your faces and chasing you down the street and stuff because they don't want to talk to you but um you know, it was flexible and I could make money. And if I went on the road for a month, I could have work when I came back. And if there were no gigs, I could have some work. And if there were gigs, I didn't have to work. And I just kind of got paid for what I did. And it was it was nice. But um, as the years kind of went on, I got a little more dependent on, on being or working there. And mm-hmm. the guys who I worked with were into some kind of shady <laughs> activity. <laughs> and my boss ended up going to prison. Um, and it was a small office it was basically myself my boss and and sort of a manager um one other guy the guy that actually did all the work um and he had quit because he was worried that um the authorities were going to be taking a look at him so it was just me and my boss when my boss ended up going to prison and i was kind of left running this office um and there were a lot of people depending on me to get their paycheck and these (laughs) you know people like me people who this was not their gig but they needed their money you know and then it kind of it kind of became my gig, and I was running this office. Um, and of course, you know, I was questioned by the FBI, and I was worried I was going to have to testify, and a lot of just a lot of things. Oh boy! Um, kind of snowballed at the same time. Um, so I ended up saying, you know, <laughs> I didn't move here for this, you know. And I would go home to Seattle, and I would really feel a part of. Uh, you know, I really feel a fellowship and a kinship to a lot of people. You know, those people aren't here anymore, to be honest. A lot of those people have, have passed on or moved on. 
Um, so this, the scene I, I decided to move back to in Seattle is a little different than the scene that is here now. Um, so I don't know. I, I, I think about it a lot. I mean, do I have regrets? Sure I do. Um, but at the same time, like what's wrong with here? I mean, I love it here. I have, my wife is here. My kids are here. My, you know, my family's here. I have a mortgage here. This is home for me. I personally love it too. Yeah. I'm lucky. I've been here a really long time and that's something that you can't really, it's the good news and the bad news. Like in the, in the bad news, like I've been here so long, you know, I, I played my first professional gig in 1993. Um, and people have kind of made up their mind one way or the other about you by this point, you know what I mean? Um, I sure do. <laughs> and, and, uh, sometimes that's a hard thing to break. On the other hand, it's not always, uh, a handicap. It can also be, you know, sometimes I'm the first person that comes to mind for a lot of things. And I appreciate that too. And that, that takes longevity, um, and staying in one place long enough. So I don't know, it, it's, it's a mixed bag. Um, I, I wish the scene here was a little different sometimes musically. Um, but it is what it is. And so, you know, the, the, the grass is green where you water it. So that's, that's what mm-hmm. I try to do. That's mm-hmm. what I try to do. That's a good phrase. So what's, uh, but I want to get back into that. What do you wish was different about the Seattle scene? I'm really curious. <laughs> I mean, I wish there were more places to play. I wish the places that, that we do play here paid better. I wish that the, I wish that the, um, the institutions we have around jazz, uh, were more respectful towards the mu- music and musicians in terms of mm. the money and also how they, how they treat the music. Um, I wish there was a larger community of like-minded people. Uh, I feel like sometimes mediocrity gets held up to a high level. Uh, hmm. You know, I don't know. Um, I wish there was a, a, a sort of a diversity of jazz experience here rather than sort of a single. Uh, I put it to you this way. In, in other cities, the the mentorship culture that has always permeated within the culture of jazz uh, mm-hmm. It is alive and well in some places, and dying mm-hmm. on the vine in others. And Seattle is one of the places where it's not only dying on the vine; it's dead. There's no such thing anymore. Uh, there is mm-hmm. no mentorship culture in our community, or, or very, very small little vestiges of it left. But in the main, there really isn't any of that anymore. And I think that's really detrimental to the music because nobody's willing to tell a younger musician, "Don't do that," or "That's corny." or or whatever it is. And I think also there aren't a whole lot of young musicians that have the depth of experience that they have anything to say to some of the older musicians. You know what I mean? Like Mm. there's people are really concerned more about just playing with their friends than sort of like trying to gain experience, you know? Um, Interesting. So it's just different. How do you feel about uh, how you would go about fostering more of that in Seattle? Let's say, uh, I mean, that sounds like a great thing to have as part of our culture here. How how can we as a scene go about developing that, do you think? Well, first people have to want that. And I, I don't see that anybody really wants that. So I, I, I don't know that you can do anything about it until it's something that people actually want. Um, <laughs> sure. So <laughs> I think that a, a healthier scene could be made uh, – by just by virtue of people 
uh, going out a little bit more. I mean, I know now in the time we're recording this uh, podcast, obviously that's kind of a ridiculous thing to say, but in general, right. you know, what you want to see in your jazz community is a lot of jazz musicians going to each other's gigs, For you sure. know, supporting each other and really making it a scene anywhere there is jazz. Uh, and I don't really see that. It, it's kind of a every man for himself. And that's 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 been the, the culture in the Northwest since the very beginning. You know, this is this is the place. Well, not maybe not the very beginning, because I don't want to insult my my friends who are who are native. But um, since the beginning of white culture here anyway, this is the place where if they if you were in the east and they say, well, you know, put them on a train and send them to the end of the line. Well, this is the end of the line. You know, this is where people got off and had to start over when they were ostracized. You know, I mean, this is the stopping off place to the gold rush in Alaska. That's why Seattle's a boomtown. So this is a town full of do-it-yourself loners, you know, and it always has kind of been that way. And it's not a community kind of place so much. It's just not, it's not the mentality of Seattle in, in as much. I think part of it has to do with the demographics of Seattle because it is a very white place. And, you know, jazz culture is not white culture is sometimes those two things are at odds. Mm -hmm. mm. Hmm. That's a very interesting insight. <clears throat> I want to switch gears just a tiny bit. Um, as I was listening to this record, um, I was just, I wasn't looking at the tracks uh, as I was going. And uh, one of the songs came on and I was like, Oh, he's playing Barracudas. At least as I knew the song to be called Barracudas. Um, yeah, uh, yeah, and that's what I call it too. But when I went to license the tune, it, uh -huh. it, all of the information says no. It's called General Assembly. <laughs> so, oh. a Miles Davis. Yep. <laughs> yeah, composed by Miles Davis. Yeah, but we know it's by Wayne Shorter. Yeah, cool. I, that, yeah, I, was, I like it. I wasn't sure if there was a second title because I know some some songs have like a vocal title and the right, right. title and all that stuff. But right, still, I ask. I'm curious. Cool. Uh, any uh, special inspiration behind that title name? I mean, I didn't write it, so you'd have to ask Wayne. There we go. Uh, General Assembly, Assembly, though? Oh, I don't know. I mean, I think it's on another Wayne Shorter record under that title. Oh, really? Mm -hmm. I didn't know that. Mm -hmm. Interesting. Cool. <clears throat> well, let's talk about another song on the record called Reversal of Fortune. Yeah, I really love this track. I was just listening to the record all the way through again right before this, and I think it's my favorite tune on the record. And the, oh, interesting! I yeah, I just really like the groove on it, and it's it's like there's a lot of obviously a lot of very good uh, playing throughout this record, but this one is just uh, especially fun to me, and I yeah, I really enjoyed it. Um. What's uh? Is there a story behind the title for this one? Why reversal of fortune? Yeah, uh, it's funny you say that. I it was kind of my least favorite tune. Um, oh, no way. <laughs> it, it, it didn't make the final. So if you if you if you're a person that bought the LP rather than the CD or downloaded it, you, you didn't get this song because it's not on the album. It's only on the digital versions of the album. Oh. So that was due to to time constraints. You know what I mean? It just didn't. Uh, it, I had to leave something off. And so I left that off. Sure. Um, but I wrote it a, a while back uh, for a tour I was doing with Oren, actually, um, and Mark and Matt uh, as, as the band Human Spirit. And 
we needed some different kind of things, and I wrote a tune based off of, a, of something I had been playing uh, by Keith Jarrett called Fortune Smiles. And so the song is actually mm-hmm. a contrafact on the way, on the Keith Jarrett song, Fortune Smiles. So the reason it's called Reversal of Fortune is because it's, it's based on Fortune Smiles by Keith Jarrett. Cool. I also yeah. sort of feel like Reversal of Fortune <laughs> at the time that I wrote it, which is quite some time ago now, and just, you know, Man, to be saying this in this time, in this time we're in right now is so weird. But I, because I, I, I think that the song title is probably kind of appropriate now. But that whole idea of a reversal of fortune, it's great if you're broke and you have a reversal <laughs> of fortune, you know. But if you're rich and you have a reversal of fortune, that's like a tragedy for you. You know what I mean? So I always like things that are sort of on the one hand, but on the other, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's very different from the rest of the album, I think. It's cool. Well, why don't we give this uh, one a listen, if you don't mind? Let's do it. Cool. Let's give it a spin.
man, now that's like the fourth time I've listened to it, and I still really, really like it. It's, <laughs> it's just fun. I appreciate that. I have fun listening to it. Uh, it's a great tune. So I want to actually talk about the first track on this record, All the Things You Are, uh, which is a standard that has been recorded so many times. Uh, but this recording is just different the groove and arrangement is so so different from other versions that i've heard and the main melody the head only shows up once and it's pretty much near the end of the tune uh and it's just a pretty unique take on it um i and i guess my question is how did you go about writing an arrangement like this or orchestrating a groove like this especially uh as a horn player like trying to write or i don't know for me as a non-drummer trying to run drum parts is incredibly intimidating but you've got this really cool interesting groove uh for this how did you go about that well i i definitely didn't think of the groove first i i that just came spontaneously when we played it but in terms of the the overall conception of how we were going to do that tune um i'm i'm a fan of standards in general not because I love old pop songs, but because I think that, that standards are sort of the way that we're able to communicate with each other. It's our common language. So we can get together and start making music immediately when we mm-hmm. all know when we all know sure. standards, right? Um, and there's something sort of sanctified about that, 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 that this is our common language. Um, and or, or at least a part of our common language, you know, in the same way that Shakespeare is part of our common language or I don't know. Yeah. In any case, um, but what I hear most of the time from some of the sort of so-called jazz musicians in Seattle is that the idea is to of playing a standard is to like play the head, play some solos, and play the head, and um, that's like what you do at a wedding, you know. And that's that's to me not the point of jazz, you know. What I mean, the whole point of of jazz is to take to take the tune in a different direction in a, in a new direction um in a, or at least in a different direction a, a, a one that has your own stamp on it and um you know i think that there's a fine line to me between guys playing jazzy and guys playing jazz or i should say people playing jazz um because that that way of just kind of playing ho-hum we're going to play the melody and play the uh, some solos and play the melody maybe we trade on it or something that's what turns people off to jazz. That's why like younger musicians think playing jazz is corny or that standards are corny because mm-hmm. nobody ever does anything to them, you know? And I feel like Miles Davis at the Plug Nickel was a really long time ago, a really, really, really long time ago. Uh, and so if that's where playing standards, you know, it has the, that's where the bar was set a long time ago. And you know, I, undoubtedly, that takes a certain amount of mastery to be able to play that freely over a repeating form. You know, but but it's not unattainable, and it's it's something we should strive for. Um, it's it's where the bar is, and most of us aren't meeting that. And I certainly <laughs> am not either. But um, I sat down with to try to figure out something to do on this song because I just wanted it to be different than head solos head. And one of the things about this tune that has been added to by jazz musicians is the intro um you know the song is jerome kern i believe in and uh 
but the intro, you know, that that's mm-hmm. Dizzy or somebody. And um, I was always told that was Dizzy. So anyways, that's the part that the jazz folks put on it. And so when we play uh, our version of it, we actually just improvise on that. That's what we're doing. We're just starting with the solos and we're improvising over a little, a slight reharmonization of the intro. And so we just play the intro over and over and over basically. So it's, it's essentially just a two chord fan. Um, wow. And then on cue, we play the head out and the head out has also a reharmonization. Uh, so it has some new changes. Mm-hmm. And so we just play the head out once. Um, so you only really hear the melody one time, but that, that's what's happening. Um, whether you can hear that or not, when you hear it, I don't know. <laughs> you know, I always hate the, like, if you have to explain what you're doing, like, you didn't do it very well. You know what I mean? Um, so hopefully that's apparent when you listen to it just the way that it's cute. But again, we did this whole record and, you know, everything's one take. Everything's the, f- the first take. So there's there's no, no there, way. The whole record? The whole record one, is one take. Yeah. Wow. So that's pretty we impressive. Dis- we discussed it. And so you guys don't have a, a, a physical copy, right? We don't, no. Yeah, because see, if you had read the liner notes, see, this is, a, this is another thing I always sort of lament is like <laughs> nobody reads liner notes anymore because everything is that. I mean, myself included, because because everything's a download, and I and like the information that you you miss out on by not being able to read the liner notes is just right. sad, you know. You know, honestly, we might have tried to get it from you if we weren't all stuck in our houses. <laughs> Yeah, uh, yeah um, that is, I hear you. That is something to lament for sure. And that's actually that's actually a nice transition to uh, our next question here. Um, how did you celebrate the release of this record, given the the current state of things with the whole quarantine? Uh, I, I'm not sure that I really have, to be honest. Um, what did I do? I I had a couple of gigs. I played a gig in Portland. I had a bunch of gigs lined up. I was going to go to Chicago. I was going to Pittsburgh, New York. Um, mm-hmm. I, I had a bunch of things lined up, and they all obviously fell through. Um, and the gig I did in Portland was the only one I did really in promotion for the album. And, and they stiffed me. <laughs> they wrote me a check that they wrote me a check that bounced. Um, but the gig was really fun anyway. But aside from that, I'm still working on that. Um, <laughs> People still do that. You know, I, I I feel bad because when the guy wrote me the check, the house was full, and and I didn't sit on it. I put it in the bank right away. But I I, I hear they've had trouble, you know, mm. since they've opened, as most jazz clubs do, which is understandable. Um, on the mm. other hand, uh, it hit, you know, by the time I got the check back and it had bounced, it, it was the club had already closed for the vi- for the virus, you know, and so there's no way for him to like, make money to to make that up, even though the money yeah. was made that night. So I mean, I I I feel for the cat, but. It is what it is. Yep. Oh boy. <clears throat> but in terms of how did I celebrate the release, I, I, I don't really believe that I have. I mean, I haven't really. I haven't. I've, I've you think you will when this of, is kind of uh, more or less, um, maybe not over, but less uh, severe. <laughs> I, I don't know. Uh, you know, I don't know. I hope to sell some albums on the bandstand at some point. That's all yeah. I can say. You know. Uh how has quarantine been for you just as a musician? I mean, we all have our own stories, I guess, but anything you'd like to just comment on in that regard? As a musician, 
That's a tough one. I mean, some personal things that have been kind of interesting, but that's really a topic for maybe a different kind of program. But um, I I would say that it's been a really good time for me to, I think like everybody, um, to get a little more focused in the practice room because we have so much time. Although I, you know, I'm homeschooling my kids like everybody who has kids in school is doing right now. Um, And Mm -hmm. I'm also... My wife works, so I'm trying to, uh, you know, she's working from home now, like everybody who can. And so like, I have a lot of sort of home responsibilities, too, cooking the meals and all, mm-hmm. that, just, all, all that stuff, you know. Um, so I'm not, like I was saying earlier, I'm not bored. Uh, I've got plenty yeah. to do. Uh, I'm, I'm writing some music. Um, and I made a little video where I played all the trumpet parts. Uh, last yeah, I was going to comment on that. that. Yeah, that was yeah. a really cool video. Oh, thank you. That that was a lot of fun and something I wanted to do for a long time. And there's a bunch of stuff that I've I've needed to practice. Uh, yeah, I'll be honest with you. You know, I'm not a fan of fear, especially on the bandstand. And I, I have it. Other people have it. You know, there there, and I've just tried to really practice on the things that make me uncomfortable, so that they're not uncomfortable anymore. And mm. because, look, you know, the bandstand is no place for fear. Nobody want to hear that. You know what I mean? Nobody who who has bought a drink or paid a cover charge to come here you play wants to hear fear. Uh, and so, <laughs> you you have to master that before you get on the bandstand. And the only way for me to do that is to practice. And there's a lot of things like I, you know stable mates i suck at it you know i just i gotta practice it and i never have time because i have to learn music for a lot of people's gigs most of the time i'm not doing anything right now but in a normal sort of circumstance and my eyesight's really bad so i gotta memorize a lot of music for gigs most of the time so i spend a lot of time learning music um for for specific reasons but for the current situation i can play work on whatever i want and i'm working on the things that i've been meaning to for a really long time and that that feels really good you know that feels really good i'm also hosting i'm hoping it still goes off i'm I'm hearing they're having some technical problems but um the royal room has asked they're doing a series of solo shows like a solo bass show with five different bass players where everybody plays solo you know or solo saxophone show where five different saxophone players play solo saxophone for 20 minutes each and so they're doing a trumpet one on may 13th i'm hoping they still are like i said i got an email today saying that they that they are having some technical issues but they've asked me to sort of host the trumpet one and it's going to be myself ingrid jensen ray vega and sean jones and it's i'm really looking forward to it so i really hope it comes off sounds awesome yeah, so I'm I'm working on some music for a solo set of solo trumpet. You know, it's not something that we do as trumpet players too often. You know, we forget that it's a musical instrument in and of itself. You know, so um, we can all be self-contained playing music, no matter what our instrument you know, should be. So that's that's been a, a fun thing to be thinking about too. Mm. Have you Very done cool. much uh, solo trumpet playing in the past? I used to busk all the time. Ah. <laughs> Was that out in New York or in Seattle it, or both? It, uh, both. I mean, it, it, in New York, it's great because you can make about $25 in an hour. And so if you need to make 100 bucks, it doesn't take that long. You know, I mean, it, ah. it's four hours, but it, it could be done. People are generous. That's way better than the busking rates in Seattle, I feel. It is, but, you know, shoo, four hours solo trumpet, that's a lot. <laughs> yeah, I mean? for so sure. If you need that, if you need to make that money, it's a hard way to to make a buck. But I know guys who are working for just as much money here and working just as hard in a club. So, mm-hmm. yep, cool. 
Well, are there, uh, normally we ask uh, if there are any other projects you're working on, but uh, other, I, I guess that's a harder thing to do these days, but are there other projects that you're working on while in quarantine? I am always working on something. You know what I mean? And I, I, I've always got many irons in the fire uh, in various degrees of hotness. And <laughs> yeah, you know, when, when, when one kind of is finished, I, I, put one from the back burner to the front burner and get that going so um anything I, you'd uh, like to give us a little teaser of well um i've been lucky to have a long time musical and personal relationship with my friend ray vega and we've had two trumpet summit records out um our first one was number one on the jazz week chart in 2010 and nice. that led to a lot of work for us that was meaningful um so we put out a second one and that did well as well um, so we're working on our third right now. I'm actually working on uh, dates in 2021. And I've already got, I don't know, about a week's worth of stuff on the calendar. God willing, it actually, hump, you know, is going to be there a year from now, that work. But uh, keeping fingers crossed, just planning like we plan, you know, <laughs> who knows what's going to happen. Yeah. yeah. That's cool. Awesome. So that, and I wrote a, a bunch of music uh, for spoken word about, I don't know, six months ago. So I'm kind of working on, on getting it, uh, that arranged to be recorded. It's been performed, but I don't have it recorded. I kind of like to have it recorded. Nice. Cool. That sounds different. It's different. <laughs> cool. Well, we're coming close to uh, our time here. Thank you so much for joining us. and uh, My pleasure. Your awesome new record. Thank you so much for asking me. Yeah. Great. Thanks, Thomas. For all of you listeners, uh, check out trumpet ship uh, make sure to go and buy thomas's new record and you've been listening to jazz talk seattle we are a monthly podcast on the seattle jazz scene you can find us on facebook just look up jazz talk seattle or um, on itunes stitcher anywhere you get your regular podcasts thank you i've for got listening. one last little question <laughs> ask your question who's the funny uncle <laughs> see you gotta wet the liner notes man you gotta get the liner <laughs> notes it's like all oh, kinds of stuff in there maybe you shouldn't um, tell people and they'll buy the, the, buy the, the face uh, well the, the album is dedicated to my uncle paul and my uncle jer and my uncle paul was my dad's brother and my uncle jer was my dad's best friend and my dad and my uncle paul and my uncle jer they all passed away within about four months of each other um, oh man and it was kind of a big hit you know, but my funny uncles, Jer and Paul, they were just, I mean, <laughs> they were one of those, they were just like the two guys that would just tease you unmercilessly, you know, the way the family does, you know, and it was always mm -hmm. funny. They just always had some funny stuff to say. And I, so the funny uncles is, that's, it's for them. The whole album is for them. Awesome. Oh, very cool. Well, there you have it. Well, thank you, Thomas. My pleasure. <laughs>